0: Now that we've all enjoyed Little Village People break, time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer for the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. Uh, first of all, we're not talking about Surrey, which is, you know, yeah, refreshing since this big week.
1: Breakthrough yeah, big breakthrough after four days in a row. <laughs>
0: exactly. But it's not
1: over out there. And this, just, we just did it, didn't oh, we? we? We just did. said it's not over out there in Surrey. Yes, yes, it
0: isn't. There will be other days for that. But today yeah. we're going to talk about some things that Premier David Eby had to say.
1: Yeah, so Premier met with the reporters yesterday and... It was his weekly big event and so you tend to get questions all over the map and a whole bunch of things uh, one of the ones which I asked him about was a parliament adjourned Wednesday night without doing anything about bail reform so the premier has been calling on Ottawa to change the criminal code to tighten access to bail for repeat and violent offenders and he Did a little victory lap back in May when the federal government tabled legislation to do just that, Bill C-48. But that was it. Ottawa didn't call the bill for passage. Uh, They didn't debate it. They didn't do anything with it. They just adjourned Parliament without doing anything. And I asked him how he felt about that, and he said he's pretty disappointed. He said it's urgent, it's needed, it's supported by all parties and all premiers and the public... It's needed, and the federal government didn't do a damn thing. So he's disappointed. Mm -hmm. I think he's in his rights to be disappointed, but uh, asked him, well, what's next? And he said, well, you know, I hope they bring it back and enact it in the fall. But I think it's pretty clear, Simi, that the federal government isn't in – nearly as much of a rush to deal with this as Premier David Eby.
0: Yeah, I do wonder what's going on with this, because we spoke to Federal Justice Minister David Lametti yeah. about this back when it first came up a couple of months ago, yeah. and we asked about the timeline. I remember this vividly, and he, he fully expected that it was yeah. going to get done in this session, and if not in the fall, but he, he, the way he talked about it, it was going to get done.
1: Yeah. No, look, I think I, Lametti. I think, has been two-faced on this. He went before a parliamentary committee, Way back in March, when this was first being talked about by the premiers, and he said, you know, I don't agree that federal bail laws are broken, that there's anything fundamentally wrong. He said, I hear the critics and I'll deal with them, but there was no urgency in his response at all. And, and I think the truth of the matter here is that the federal government has been paying lip service to this, but they don't accept what seems obvious to premier eb and to the other canadian premiers which is there's a huge problem with the criminal code regarding access to bail for repeat and violent offenders these offenders end up in court they are in violation of their parole or their bail conditions their earlier conditions so they have a record of hundreds of offenses Uh, The prosecutor tries to persuade the judge that the person should be denied bail. And the judge goes, yeah, well, you know, uh, the criminal code uh, says that uh, basically we should grant bail to everyone. I mean, there's very limited cases. So we got a law that would make it – they call it reverse onus, Simi. But what it basically means is that now when someone's in court – and the issue of a bail is in front of a judge. The prosecutor has to persuade the judge there's a good reason for locking the person up. With violent and repeat offenders, reverse onus means that no, the accused person's lawyer has to persuade the judge that the person should be let out. So it shifts the the power. Right. And we do that with some offenses. This change in the law would broaden the number of offenses. Violent, repeat offenders, people arrested with weapons, people arrested with in violation of earlier bail conditions, and that, the law would solve the problem, well, the law would address the problem, but it's pretty clear that Ottawa's got its doubts. I think if it, if this really were a priority, uh, they would have dealt with it. the The Liberal House leader, the federal Liberal House leader, boasted this week parliament adjourned two days earlier he said we got through everything that was important to us yeah i guess they did that tells you how important this is to the federal government
0: do you think they're trying to run out the clock
1: yeah i do actually i think i look i really think that that this is an issue where the premiers and the mayors being in the front line of this problem have recognized something needs to be done the problem is in the airy atmosphere of the federal government where you know they don't connect to the problem at the street level they're listening to academics and progressive lawyers who were saying oh this is a bad thing you know we had to loosen up bail access and make it easier to get bail way back uh in 2019 when they changed it the last time the courts have been pushing us to do this uh Uh, If we don't do this, um, you're going to end up locking up even more people from disadvantaged groups, and you're going to deny them their rights. And I really think what we're seeing here, Simi, is an intellectual clash between the street-level people like police, mayors, counselors, and premiers who are having to deal with this problem and the public – and this kind of elite at the top that have this kind of well, as I say, it's an elitist view of how the justice system should be run,
0: okay, so we'll see if that actually comes back this fall um you know yeah, we will think. see yeah. you
1: know and and remember I and mean, this is central to e b dealing with the problem of public safety, right? They tried to deal with it at the provincial level. And the uh, provincial prosecutors went into court and said, no, we don't think this person should get bail. And the judges went, well, I've read the criminal code. They're getting bail. So that failed. So this is like Bibi's last line of defense in making progress and one of his biggest promises, which is safer yeah. streets, safer downtowns.
0: And how frustrating is that where you think the oh, federal yeah. government is on your side and they, tell, they say all the right things and then they don't act? Yep.
1: And so here's a question. E.B. has an interesting way to put pressure on Trudeau, which he doesn't seem to have used. The federal leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, is an MLA, as an MP for a B.C. riding. And Trudeau wouldn't even be prime minister without Singh's support. So if E.B. really wants to vent on this, why doesn't he, why doesn't he yeah. phone up his federal caucus and say, hey, we need this in British Columbia. Why don't you do something? Why don't you tell Trudeau he's got to get this bill through because, because – Trudeau, as I say, wouldn't be Prime Minister without Singh's support.
0: Exactly. Okay, so there's that. Also, I want to ask you about tomorrow because it's a big day. It's by-election day.
1: By-election day. (laughs) It's not really on the radar screen for uh, an awful lot of people, and it hasn't drawn a lot of attention, but there are two vacancies in the B.C. legislature brought on by the retirements of Melanie Mark at Vancouver Mount Pleasant and John Horgan in Langford, Uh, Well, there's voting day tomorrow. We now vote on Saturdays in B.C. I haven't spoken to anybody who expects anything other than uh, low turnout, and victory for the NDP. So I don't think you know anyone's going to be surprised. Oh, the surprise would be if the result is anything different.
0: But Vaughn, it's, it's interesting because that didn't used to be the case with no. by-elections:
1: safe seat or no safe seat. No, I used to have a like a, almost a user key on my computer. Which anytime I wrote about a by-election, I would add governments generally don't win by-elections. That's true. It was true in a lot of the time in modern. BC history, you know, Christy Clark's government lost two by elections yeah. and safe seats and uh, so forth. Uh, but it's changed. Um, the new Democrats are not the least bit worried. Uh, they're going to win those seats. They expect it. And if you look at the opinion polls, they'd win the general election if it were called tomorrow, too. So that is a big change. In the 1990s, uh, Glenn Clark resigned in the middle of a controversy as premier. He remained an MLA because the party didn't want to lose his seat in the by-election. John Horgan announces he's stepping down, leaves, resigns his seat. Nobody's worried um, in the NDP. And that is a big change. It's a big change from the new Democrat government in the 1990s, which was in trouble a lot of the time, to this NDP government, which, despite some problems, and we all know what they are out there and people are concerned about, still enjoys a level of popularity with the public that would mean an NDP victory if a general election were called tomorrow.
0: Yeah, sure sounds like the opposition still has a lot of work to do here. Uh,
1: they have a lot of work to do, and Simi, you've touched on what we will be looking at in the by-election results, which is how does B.C. United fare in its first by-elections under its new name? Uh, how do the B.C. conservatives fare now that they have a new leader in uh, John Rustad and in the legislature? And how do the Greens fare? How mm-hmm. do the basically the three opposition parties... Split the votes that are left over when people have finished voting for the NDP.
0: In that case, I look forward to Monday to talk about that. Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.